0: To the MTB Tribe Podcast. Your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett.
1: Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here and welcome to episode 154 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go on the trails, keep you stoked. And hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here this week and thanks for tuning into the show. Now today's guest is seven times world champion, Red Bull athlete, best-selling author, keynote speaker, Emmy Award winner... And just simply an amazing inspiration for everybody, Rebecca Rush. It was an absolute blast to get Rebecca on the show. Um, I've been following her career for quite a while and some of the stuff she does is just amazing. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll understand what I mean. Some of the races she competes in, some of the stuff she does, just out of sheer passion... For life and helping other people and helping communities. It's just such an inspiration for all of us that we really should try and follow where we can. We chat to Rebecca about how her career kind of started at high school and how she got involved in the running team and how that has led her to follow her passions and love for life through competing and pushing herself to be a better athlete, a better person and using her experience and life lessons to help other people through the medium of mountain biking. We chat to her about her rock climbing days, racing in the Iditarod Trail Invitational in Alaska and that is one story folks, that's a crazy crazy race. We chat to her about Rebecca's private Idaho training camp which raises funds for her Be Good Foundation in honour of her father. We chat to Rebecca about her amazing documentary called Blood Road in which she rides the 1200 mile Ho Chi Minh Trail through Vietnam and Cambodia to find the place where her father was shot down during combat in the Vietnam War back in 1972. We chat to her about that and how it has changed her life and how she came away from there wanting to do more and start at the Be Good Foundation which does Unbelievable work for that area in Laos. We chat to Rebecca about this and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get Rebecca on the show and welcome her to the MTB Tribe Podcast.
2: Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast. How's things with you?
0: Things are great. Thanks for having me.
2: You're more than welcome. And um, it's an honor to have you on the show. Your your list of achievements is quite long you would need a couple of books to fill (laughs) (laughs)
0: well i've written one maybe maybe are you saying i need to to write another one maybe perhaps that's the goal of all of us a long life that's full of great adventures right
2: yeah yeah it's cool and you know i've been following what you've been doing for quite a while um i watched your podcast with rich roll and your youtube videos and stuff it's very very cool um But for, for anybody that doesn't know, like, you're an adventure athlete. You're, you're seven times world champion. You're a best-selling author. You're an Emmy Award winner for your documentary Red Road. It goes on and on, right?
0: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it does go on and on. And it's Blood Road. Just to, Oh, sorry, just Blood so. Road, yes. Yeah, yeah, no worries.
2: Um, cool. And the thing that blew me away with your career is – you know, you rock climb, you whitewater raft, you do all these things. It's crazy how you've maybe fallen into the mountain biking thing. Can you tell us a wee bit about that, about your background and how you maybe fell into mountain biking?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've it's kind of interesting because, yeah, I look back and people are like, oh, I've done all these sports, like, it doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. But... Honestly, really, I like even as a little kid, you know, I used to be that kid who was camping in my backyard and would sleep out overnight. And I've always kind of had an adventurous sort of wanderlust kind of spirit and sort of wanted to see what was on the next block over or the next mountain range over. And mm-hmm. so all the different sports have sort of followed this same theme of wanting to go exploring. And so whether it was climbing or you know, I started with cross country running really in high school and college, um, you know, and just kind of running through fields and around parks. And and that was really feeding my exploration and and finding sport as a way to express myself and feel strong. And, and that hasn't changed over the years. But um, I have found that, you know, that probably really the last 15 years or so, um, the mountain biking has really started to become the sort of preferred mode of travel and, and the mm-hmm. preferred tool really, um, because I can go more places, I can see more things. And the bike is really just such a fabulous, fabulous vehicle for, um, for going places and it's accepted around the world. Everybody understands a bicycle, you know, no matter mm-hmm. where you are. Um, and so it's become the main mode of transport. Um, that said, I still hike and run and, um do some other things, but the bike has really taken the front seat. Um just because I can I can go more places on it.
2: Yeah. And when you were when you were younger, um, and we'll we'll touch on your father, if you don't mind, a little bit later, just in the Blood Road documentary, you done. Mm-hmm. Um but did was it a sporting family? Did you kind of come from a sporting background?
0: Nope, not at all. Um, my family was not athletic, um, and I was the, really the only one in my family who who went that route, and really it was, um, you know, a neighbor friend of mine, uh, you know, like I said, I was always an adventurous kid, and we'd camp a lot, and I loved doing that in the summers and just being outside, And um, but no one in my family was in organized sports, and so a, a neighbor friend suggested I you know, going into high school, join the cross-country running team. And the motivation was, uh, you know, as a young girl, you know, most young girls have sort of body image issues or or even young boys too. is like, where do we fit in? Who are we? You're trying to find out who you are. And my neighbor friend suggested, she's like, oh, you should join the running team because you get a free tracksuit, suit and you'll never get fat. <laughs> and those were my two motivations, um, maybe not the best motivation to get into sport, but what I really found was this community and these people I belonged with and a way to, you know, instead of looking at my body as like, you know, something that had to fit into a pair of jeans, it was a tool, you know, and I felt strong for the first time in my life and learned, you know, what training was like and working towards something. And that, you know, initial, introduction to sport in high school, you know, as a young girl, was really pivotal. And I mean, it's why I support any kids getting involved with sports, because it's such a great life lesson, you know, for health and wellness. But also, I found a community of people that, you know, became my friends. And so that was really pivotal. And I haven't left sports since even, you know, even though the avenue has changed from climbing to paddling to running to biking. um, It's still sort of the community of people that I respond with and it, it helps me, you know, maintain sort of my own mental and physical health and wellness. It's, it's become an integral part of my life. That said, I didn't think at that time, you know, oh, I'm going to become a professional athlete. You know, that that never really occurred to me. I just liked the way that running made me feel. Mm-hmm. And biking's the same, you know, it, it is my profession and my job, but I like the way it makes me feel and I miss it when I don't do it. And I think there's a lot of new a lot of new athletes um during you know this time of covid people are finding the outdoors or finding bikes they're going hiking um and I think that that's a really great thing because it is like i said mental and physical health and wellness um it's a great outlet for that
2: yeah you know it's funny the community thing seems to be such a big part in stuff like mountain biking um
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know because i remember asking my subscribers to the podcast, why they mountain biked a simple question. <laughs> and the majority of them said it was to get out in nature and be in nature with friends. And to me, that was quite surprising because there's quite a lot of the adrenaline thing in it for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the community seems to play such a big part in it. And people seem to, and the mountain bike community is so good, right? Like I think it is worldwide. It's such a good community to be involved in. Um, does that keep you interested in it? Does does the community mean a lot and keep you interested in going in different directions and things?
0: I just touched on a lot of really good things there. I mean, absolutely, there's community, and whether it's a community of, of one person, you know, I, I met my husband mountain biking, so um, mm. you know, we became our own little little community, and it's something that we can do together. Um, but there's also you, you touched on you know, that people, what does mountain biking mean for them? And it it might be adrenaline, you know, for you, you're, you're pushing yourself and trying hard things or, or it might be, you know, being in nature or it might be connecting with your community. Um, but it checks a lot of boxes for a lot of people. So I don't think it's just one thing. Um, and yeah, I love to go push myself and do a hard ride and I might be doing that alone. Um, but I can even share that ride on, on Strava or whatever else. And then there's even a community that wasn't out there riding with me, but people are like, oh yeah, that's a cool ride. Or I like doing that too. So it's, especially now where, uh, you know, many of us are not gathering for large group events or races, um, but we're still connecting in a community, which I think is pretty special.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, it's something to be great to be involved in, for sure. Um, so how did you kind of segue into the adventure racing side of things then, Rebecca?
0: Well, that was interesting. I was um, managing and running a rock climbing gym in uh, Los Angeles, Santa Monica, California, and and a bunch of, uh, you know, so I was deep into the rock climbing um and it, a bunch of people came in and they wanted to learn how to repel, you know, and they, they didn't fit in. Like rock climbers are kind of dirt bags and, you know, baggy <laughs> shorts and stuff like that. And these people came in all sort of, you know, wearing this really tight fitness wear. And, you know, they, you could tell they just they weren't climbers. And it turns out there were a bunch of adventure racers. And I'd never heard of that sport before. But mm-hmm. and for anyone who hasn't, it's, you know, multi-sport where you're climbing, paddling, running, navigating, um, in teams all around, you know, all around the world. And it turns out these, this, these people were some of the best of the best in adventure racing, and they needed to get some climbing skills for their next race. And so, you know, I was, they, they sort of looked like a bunch of misfits to me, but I was happy to mm. charge them to teach them how to rock climb and rappel. <laughs> um, and I ended up chatting with them about what they were doing and, and, you know, lo and behold, I got invited to go do some adventure racing because, um, you know, Eco Challenge was just launching at the time and it's just had a comeback actually, um, after 10 years away and these teams all needed, they had to be co-ed. And so, you know, some of these people I was talking to, they were like, oh, well, you paddle and you climb and you run. All right. Well, you're checking a lot of boxes. Um, I wasn't a mountain biker at the time and I was actually lousy at it and didn't like it. Um, But they needed athletes who were multi-sport athletes. Um, And so I got invited on on a team to do a 24-hour race. And that was kind of the beginning of a decade-long career in adventure racing and became a team captain and traveled the world, um, you know, doing these long multi-day expeditions. And they they really did form kind of – Major experience for my life of like really learning to explore, and suddenly that kid who wanted to camp in the backyard, you know, was getting to see, you know, Borneo and South Africa and New Zealand and getting to go everywhere. Um, wow. and it was pretty exciting for me to spend 10 years doing that. And, and, um, you know, so I quit my job, I, I left, you know, this great job in LA so that I could, I could. Adventure, uh, and I thought it'd be a one-year, you know, little excursion of doing mm. some of these races, but it ended up being a decade, and and that really is what um, that really is what segued into a mountain bike career. Um, and now at this point, it's kind of interesting because all that adventure racing and expedition-type racing, um, my cycle psych- and my cycling are now coming together, and I'm doing a lot of bike packing adventures, and I really feel like all those navigation skills and overnight skills and all that stuff from adventure racing um is what I'm using now for races like the Iditarod and you know some some big bike packing adventures so it, it's kind of come full circle as far as my experience so it may seem like I've done a lot of different sports but they've all really been um they've all been kind of uh, laying the foundation you know for the next one and mm-hmm. and now these these big bike adventures like Blood Road that you talked about and riding the Ho Chi Minh Trail and so it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's coming full circle, really.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic story. And I want to touch on the rod and stuff like that because it's pretty crazy, uh, that kind of thing. Um, when you when you were doing your adventure racing, how did you fund yourself doing that? There's not a yeah. lot of money in that kind of thing, right? Oh,
0: no, there's not a lot of money in it at all. But um, so so what happened is I decided, okay, well, if I'm going to keep doing, I want to keep doing this for a while because it was amazing travel. And like I said, I thought it would just run out in a year or so. And so mm. what I ended up doing was, um, quitting my job, uh, moving into my car. Cause I realized if I'm going to do this, I can't afford to pay rent and I'm going to wow. quit my job. So I, I really minimized, you know, um, my lifestyle and, stayed with friends and, you know, might rent a place or get an odd job here or there. But I really was dedicated to, you know, going from race to race. And I really got an education because I ended up, um, you know, we had to get the money to travel and we had to get sponsors. And so that's where I really cut my teeth and got my education in in really running a business um, of getting sponsorship and You know, pitching to different sports groups or different equipment manufacturers, and um, to try to pay our way to get on these grand adventures. And Mm. you know, we'd won some prize money here or there, but it was always going right back to fuel the next adventure. So it was, you know, we were making enough to be able to go to the next race. That was pretty cool. Though I learned a lot about how to how to run, you know, my own little business, and it, it served me well as an athlete and you know i like i said i never would have thought it would be decades of being a professional athlete um but it was and it and that was really laying the groundwork for it but yeah i wasn't making any money but i wasn't you know i wasn't asking for i wasn't borrowing money from my family and i was doing all right and uh yeah it's, but it was a big sacrifice for sure i mean i didn't have a home i didn't really have a place to live i didn't have a you know a place where my mail went to a po box and Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was seeing the world and I was traveling all, all over and, and making lifelong friends and, um, really learning about, you know, what the human body is capable of and, and meeting all these people in different cultures everywhere. So it, it was a fantastic time in my life.
2: Yeah, for sure. What age were you around then?
0: Mm, I was adventure racing in my 20s and 30s and then got into mountain biking at 35, I think, 38. So when I first started mountain biking mm-hmm. um, yeah. and I'm 52 now so yeah I've had a adventurous you know number of decades I live yeah. in, I, don't, I no longer live in my car though I, I have a house now and a place <laughs> to get mail and uh, a garage to put all the gear in
2: <laughs> yeah well you had to do it sometime uh, you had to sell out sometime.
0: yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, at any stage through that Rebecca were you thinking how do I go pro in this or I need to be a pro athlete or was it something that just kind of happened along the road?
0: No, I was just fueling the next adventure and, and like I was living by the seat of my pants because I love the travel and I love the sport. And um, so no, it never occurred to me that it might actually become a long-term career um, or job. So no, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be world champion. I'm going to be a professional athlete. I really was just following my heart and I wanted to travel and do these things and train hard. Um, so I was motivated in that way. So it's always kind of a surprise when I write down on like, you know, a little application or you have to fill out a form and it asks for your profession. It still kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> I put down professional athlete. Cause no, I never in a million years would have dreamed that this would be what I would end up doing.
1: Yeah.
2: It's amazing. And now you're a Red Bull athlete. Mm -hmm. and you know every kid looks at that red bull helmet on their favorite their favorite star you know as as being a pinnacle of success really so what do you feel every time you put that helmet on
0: man i mean there i've been a red bull athlete for almost 20 years and um you know it's it's pride there's no, no other way to put it other than pride of like not very many people get to put that on on their head and so I take it very seriously and you know I I still sort of laugh and smile but but yeah I I worked really hard and you know it's it wasn't luck it was um you know blood sweat and tears literally and a lot of sacrifice um but yeah I'm really proud of of that helmet and I'm proud of my longevity in in sport and in being able to You know, still be competing and still be um, making a difference and still be inspiring and challenging myself and other people um, this far into my career.
2: Mm. Yeah. And you've now been inducted into the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame (laughs) last year, 2019. Like, how did that make you feel? That must be some experience, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. It, and Red, it was really cool. Red Bull was there and they actually surprised me with a mountain bike hall of fame helmet that like had all these special personal things on it. And, um, that was pretty great. And I, like you said, it's like, what is somebody's motivation for getting involved in sport? And hopefully it it is for the right motivation, not for fame, not for money or, or whatever else. Um, and so, you know that's how I got involved, but and, and then years later to be celebrated and, and you know say yeah you you know you've made a difference in your career and, and you've done a great job, that feels really good. It's you know there there's a lot of pride there, and I, the best athletes that I know are not ones that are um, sort of bragging about themselves. They're not talking about how great they are, and and so you know it's to have your peer group say good job. You know, it's a big mm-hmm. deal. It's it's a big deal. Most of us are pretty hard on, their sel- on ourselves, me included. And so, yeah, to have sort of a community of people say, you know, nice job. Um, we all need that. You know, not everybody mm-hmm. gets to be in the Hall of Fame. But um, I don't know, I still sort of pinched myself. I still can't believe it's me. Uh, but I'm proud of it. I've worked really hard. So it's nice to get that feedback.
2: Yeah, for sure. And honestly,
0: you know, personally, it feels good. But here's the big thing here. What it really means, you know, all these podiums, Emmy Award, Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. All it means is that I have a bigger platform to do something important, you know, through my foundation or through sharing my experience for the next, you know, world champion or the next Mountain Bike Hall of Famer, like, at some point, and not that I'm done yet with my career, but it would be empty if it was just me looking at all my trophies and celebrating myself. Um, so, so Mountain Bike Hall of Fame and those, those accolades, it just is a springboard. And it just allows me to do more um, for other people. And that's pretty special too. So it's, it's turned a corner from being just about me to being about um, how I can share what I've learned and what I know with other people
2: yeah and that's a beautiful way to put it because it seems to me kind of looking over your career that anything you've done and has touched you in some way you do something off the back of that you just don't say that was a great experience i really enjoyed that on to the next thing you kind of do something around that you make you you improve people's lives via that experience you had would that be true in saying saying that
0: Well, thank you. I mean, I try to, it's, it's like you touched on community and how, you know, how much fuller is a cool mountain bike ride when you've got a friend that you share it with, Mm. you know, or you you go over a big jump or some technical section and your friend does it there with you and you're just as excited for them as, as you are for yourself. And so our experiences are expanded when we, when we share them with other people. And whether it's one person or whether it's a lot of people through a big fundraising aspect or whatever it is, I, I think we leave fuller lives when, when we sort of take the blinders off of just our own motivation and, and turn it towards other people.
2: Yeah, it's such, a, it's such a lovely way to look at things and do things. Um, and then take people along for the experience with you, I think, and help people's lives because of that. You know, there's so much more to sport than just competing in races and doing stuff. And you know, for to me, that's what it's about. You know, um, it's getting people involved and and getting people stoked and and what this can bring to their life and how it can make things better. And you seem to look at things that upon that way as well.
0: Well, I mean, that's what sport has done for me even since high school. You know, I developed confidence and you know, joining the cross country running team because somebody else encouraged me to get involved and. So it has been, been a gift for me, and I want to keep sharing that with everybody else because, I, I mean, I really do believe if everybody rode a bicycle and everybody got out in nature a little bit every day, it um, might solve a lot of the problems in our world right now.
2: Yeah, so true. Uh, let's chat a little bit about the Road Trail in Alaska, which is over four days, 300 plus miles. Very, very crazy. Uh <laughs> Now, you raced it in 2019. Um, mm-hmm. You were very emotional at the end of that.
0: Yeah, I've done, um, well, in 2020 as well. So that was the last race I did. Uh, so I did that. I did Rod trail invitational twice now.
2: Okay, um, okay. So, right so you, <laughs> got to, you got to do <laughs> the 2021. I thought that maybe yep, we couldn't go I ahead. Yeah, I did
0: it in March early March and then came home right to, you know, all this, all this happening. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, I went to Alaska, you know, I swore I would never do a winter expedition bike race because one, I'm not good in the cold and I, I, I'm just, I never have been. And, and it really terrified me. Um, mm. but I, I'd realized I hadn't done something to really, really committing in a long time, you know, not since, um, blood road and the Ho Chi Minh trail or, or adventure racing days. I, I hadn't done anything that was committing and, you know, I'd done stuff that was hard and it was physically hard, but nothing where the consequence was really, really high. And so I I felt like I needed, I needed to scare myself again, you know, in some sort of way, (laughs) not because I wanted to be scared, but because I feel like, and this is why I always encourage people to race or do something hard is that we become, you know, you really have to rise to the occasion, um, for something that scares you. You have to take your training seriously. You have to take your equipment seriously and you, you kind of learn what you're made of. And, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, when are you going to stop racing? Why are you, you, know, why do you keep pushing yourself? And it's because the trail is my teacher and I learn about myself out there. And I, I realized I needed another, really committing adventure. And so that's where the Iditarod Trail Invitational came in in 2019. And I was really emotional at the end of 2019, because I scared myself, and I was not prepared. And, you know, I was in terrain that was really life or death, you know, minus 40 degree temperatures um, in the middle of Alaska with no support. And so you truly are your own rescue and your own first responder. And um, and I got through it, but by the skin of my teeth and I, and I vowed to go back, but to be more prepared and to be ready. And I went back in 2020 and fit and strong and I learned a lot and I, you know, tweaked my equipment and, and it took me the same distance, took me twice as long.
1: <laughs> so really? seven
0: days instead of four. Um, but I did a better job. I was proud of myself, you know, because I, it took twice as long because of the, the terrain, the, the snow was really bad. Um, and the elements were really bad. And so everybody took longer. Um, and had that happened in year number one, I don't know that I would have survived it, but I was so proud of myself for getting through one of the worst years that I did a ride has ever experienced. Um, you know, probably walked my bike, pushed my bike through heavy snow, 150 of the 350 miles. Wow. Um, but I did it, I survived. I had to sleep outside, outside a shelter. Um, I ended up pairing up with my husband, which was really special. So we, we traveled together. Um, and then the next goal on the books, hopefully is to go, is to go do the thousand mile version of that same race when, when we're allowed to travel again. I mean, I'm signed up for it for 2021, but we'll see if, if by, uh, February, if, uh, travel is allowed
2: yeah, and it's it's pretty extreme race. I don't think oh yeah oh, people Yeah. Re- yeah. <laughs> I don't think people realize, okay. So you, you said in twenty nineteen that your goal was not to lose any fingers
1: or toes.
0: Yeah. And you I don't. did that. And <laughs> my goal in twenty twenty was to to not put myself in danger, to, to move through that kind of terrain more safely and to be more confident to sleep out. And so I survived twenty nineteen. But 2020, I, I, I did it well. Mm-hmm. And that is what I wanted to do as preparation if I'm going to do the 1,000-mile. Um, and, and the 1,000-mile, you know, it's a month on the trail. Oh, my word. Um, in Alaska, in the winter time, um, self-supported.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> it, it gets so cold there that everything freezes, right? So, you know, your food freezes. Mm-hmm. If you don't use the right tire sealant, it freezes. Your pump freezes like as yeah as end of the road kind of stuff right
0: it is end of the road kind of stuff and and it's very comm- committing and but you know what it's like if I can do that I can do anything you know I, I came out from I did this year to a global pandemic and you know um civil unrest and I mean 2020 has been quite a year for everybody and I've taken a lot of my trail lessons um you know to get through this year Mm -hmm. it's not been easy i mean i am sure you guys are all feeling the same way but people are worried about their health their wellness their their you know will they have a job um you know their economic stability and this is a hard year for our whole entire world so now more than ever you know being physically strong emotionally strong mentally strong is super important and that's what that's what the bike gives me
2: yeah, for sure it's it's not easy um and you know I suppose being able to take those strengths from what you've done in sports to your everyday life really helps it helps you get through um, but it's it is so crazy the world's crazy at the minute like who would have ever have thought you know
0: no we never would have predicted and so yeah I envision myself out in the middle of Alaska you know cold and freezing and lost and how you know upsetting I might upsetting that might feel to me um and just going all right well i got through that so you know i can get mm-hmm. through this
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure um you have on your website you have some core values that you you kind of live by can you talk us through those
0: yeah, these were, when I came back from, you know, the really the most important ride of my life was about five years ago, riding the Ho Chi Minh Trail yeah. to Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. And I went as a big bike expedition, you know, to be the first one to do it. And I wanted to go over there, you know, to explore, but but I also wanted to go and was sort of drawn to these map coordinates in the middle of the jungle in Laos um, to find the place where my dad's plane had been shut down in 1972 during the vietnam war and so it was kind of this double expedition for me and um it was an amazing trip and that is the basis of the film blood road that you mentioned And i came back from that trip you know um really changed as a person and and wondering you know what is my purpose and what is all this riding for and and you know what am i doing other than you know going from adventure to adventure and I spent a couple of years really soul searching of, you know, what I stand for and what my values are. And that's where, that's where these, um, sort of equations so to speak came up and, uh, and it took a while. It took a lot of, um, journaling and processing and writing down like, you know, and I, I won't lie a couple of years of actually, um, really struggling with what I was meant to do, who I was, you know, what all this racing was for. Um, and I, I started to look back at all the, the cool things I'd done in my life or the pivotal moments and tried to look for patterns of what they meant. Um, and that's where I came up with these, with these, um, equations of kind of rules for engagement for me and, um, ultimately fueled by my dad and his words, you know, he wrote, Home, all his letters home from the Vietnam War, and and he didn't come home. I never, I was two when he died, so I don't really, I never really met him, <laughs> and but he was definitely speaking to me, and his words in his letters home, he always signed them with the words "Be good," and I've kind of taken that on as my mission statement, and and launched a foundation in his in, in his name that's called the Be Good Foundation, and. those equations you mentioned were kind of the basis of it all and and it's pretty simple it's four four little rules and one is risk equals reward Um, passion equals payoff give equals get and less equals more and I find that I can kind of look at all the moments in my life and you know if Follow those four things. Um, ultimately, um, things are going to turn out pretty well for me, or, or they're going to be okay. And I have to refer back to them a lot. You know, less equals more. Right now is something that I'm working on, just because it, you know it's quite intense, having to redefine your business and redefine what things are. And and you know, like we I mentioned to you earlier before we started recording, is that. I'm kind of enjoying being home because the, you know, the years before 2020 I've been traveling too much and really giving too much of myself. And so, um, the less equals more is actually really, you know, not saying yes to everything. Um, the give equals get is, is all about what we already talked about sharing what you know with other people. Um, and often that's more rewarding than than your own podium or your own finish line. And then ultimately, you know, Whenever I forget how I'm supposed to be, it's just be good. And so I've, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I actually did some speeches on developing your own personal mission statement. And, you know, that is mine. You know, I've developed kind of what I stand for. But very few of us, like, everyone does it for business. You know, any company has a mission statement and set of core values. But very few people do it for themselves. And I think this is a really good time in our world to you know, write down what you stand for and what's important to you and how you want to fill the space, you know, the rest of the time we have in this world. How do you, how do you want to use it? And so those are mine. Anyone's welcome to use them or steal them, (laughs) but I would encourage people to, to maybe, you know, reflect and, and write down some of your own right now. As we are all pivoting right now, we're all kind of redefining, how we're going to spend our time, how we're working, what events we may or may not get to go to. Um, you know, we've I've thought, a, I've thought a lot about, I've thought a lot, and this sounds kind of morbid, um, but I've thought a lot about death lately. And I've thought about what, you know, people have lost family members, you know, as I lost my dad. People this year in COVID have lost events or they've lost, you know, travel or they've lost, you know, some sort of connection Mm -hmm. to a community that, that they don't have right now. And I've thought about, you know, when things die and like my father is not with me, but he's very much with me. And so I've thought about, you know, what is dead, what died for you this year or recently that you still want to hold on to the principles of it. And, because that race is gone or because that person is gone or because that job is gone, it doesn't mean what that meant to you is gone. And it's a lot of the reason I, you know, Private Idaho is, is my signature event at, at home here that was going into year number eight. And the main reason I didn't outright cancel Rebecca's Private Idaho is because I knew that even if people can't gather here, 1,500 people can't come here and ride bikes with me. People still needed a challenge. They need motivation. They need to connect with their community. I still wanted to fundraise for the Be Good Foundation. And so it was like the race may have, you know, quote, unquote, died for this year in person in the format that we're all used to seeing it. But I wasn't willing to let the principles of it die. And so, you know, I launched a different format that is – an online training group, um, a community, and we're all going to ride and execute the Rebecca's private Idaho course, wherever you are in the world, you know, you're going to execute it at home, but we're all still connecting and fundraising. And so, so when people, you know, I think about that a lot because of my dad and when people, you know, said for blood road and I went and did that adventure and I found the place where he died, one thing that everyone has said is, oh, it must have been closure for you to go and spend time where he died and sort of close that chapter. And it's exactly opposite. It was an opening for me. And getting to know this man who I'd never met and getting to talk to people who'd served with him, getting to learn what the Vietnamese culture is like, Southeast Asia is like, connecting with my riding partner. And so it was a, a rebirth and an opening so much more than a closure and and i think if people can view things that we that have built us you know whether it's relationships or events or a job or whatever things that have made you who you are um, you don't have to lose what was special about that you carry it with you
2: yeah no very true and do you think this kind of line of thinking came off the back of doing that trip for Blood Road, or were you thinking similar before then?
0: No, no the Blood Road definitely made open my eyes to really think about um, just to uh, reflect a lot more. And, you know, I think I've always had some of these principles in, in my head, in my heart. Uh, you know, with the choices that I've made, but I was never able to articulate them. Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of this, this time period after doing that ride where I really sat and reflected. And I I do believe that this time of COVID is another time of reflection for people to sit and think, what are are we here for? What are we made of? What am I going to do about it? And so so yeah, I think we all we all have the answers inside of ourselves and I did too um until I in, before I did blood road but it was really the experience of it, you know, a really hard challenging emotional thing that that forced me to sit down and journal and start to meditate and and really, you know, reflect and think and articulate what I was feeling inside and you know, it's really easy to just go on to the next day or go on to the next week and, oh, it's Friday or it's the weekend. And suddenly you look back and 10 years have whizzed by and, and you didn't really think about it. And, and I was doing that when I was racing. I was having a great time, but I was going race to race to race to race without even sitting down and, and thinking about um, what the one before meant. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah. we can all get caught up in our day-to-day lives and everything seems so hectic nowadays.
0: That you yeah. Kinda, you kind of
2: forget the bigger picture, huh?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what yeah. dogs are good for. You know, I have a couple of dogs and they wake <laughs> yeah. up every day happy and they're just like, what are we going to do today? And they eat and they play and, you know, they love you. And so it's it's a good lesson.
2: Yeah, love you a know, dog's life. You kinda,
0: yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: I don't know what ever happened, but I remember when the internet came out, people said, yeah, it's going to take us off a five-day week to a three-day working week, but it's kind of went the other way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it sure did, huh? I mean, it's hard to turn those digital things off. And even now, like, we're all having meetings on Zoom and, you know, um, it's good, though. I mean, we're we're connected through the internet and and we're able to, you know, I'm able to talk to you all the way Mm. over where you are
2: yeah it's not it so really it really is mind-boggling um i try and do a social free sunday now that's what i uh-huh. try to do that's great yeah um sometimes it doesn't work but normally i normally i achieve it
0: yeah <laughs> you i mean know- and that's what i do i like i live somewhere where there's not a lot of cell phone coverage when i go out and so yeah i just went and camped out last night with my husband or two nights ago with my husband same so we were checked out for a couple of days and I think that's a really healthy thing to do is to put the digital devices down.
2: Yeah. You know, the crazy thing is when I was in Malta, my phone broke. Mm. And it took me about nine days to get a new phone organized. And you know what?
0: Oh, was that it awesome? was
2: fantastic.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, the first day, first two days, maybe you're thinking, what am I missing? What am I missing? What's mm-hmm. happening? You know, I'm going to be out to of touch with certain things. And then the third day you're like, This is amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. It's so nice. That's how I felt Alaska. Yeah, it's like you just check out, and I think a lot of people are finding, you know, bike packing and exploring on their bike. I think because people, we we're so hyper connected. I think people do have a need to check out, and I think they're finding it on their bikes.
2: Yeah. No, it's so cool. I I totally, I totally see that. Especially when you get out in nature and you get away from the traffic and the noise of of traffic and the hustle and the bustle and you just get out there and all you hear is your gears changing and the tracks and mm. your tires it's lovely
0: yeah it's a nice sound isn't it and you're breathing hard and you hear the birds and suddenly for me everything comes into focus out there um it's just a lot easier to yeah to focus on what's important i solve yeah. a lot of problems out there on the bike i don't know if you do
2: yeah for sure no definitely definitely you know, how did we let it all get so complicated? What happened?
0: Oh, that's a really good question. That's why <laughs> I think everybody should ride a bicycle because, it, it, you know, daily it reminds me. You know, I go out in the first 20 minutes of any ride. I'm, like, distracted thinking about what I should be doing at work or what I should be doing. And then all of a sudden the flip switches and and I'm on my ride, like you said, listening to my tires and my gears. and. I do think people need to have a part of their day that is a, a reprieve from the distraction and the stress and all those things. I know, and I know a lot of parents or family members who say, you know, I don't have time to go on a hour ride. Like I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to take care of my kids. And you know, honestly, we're better people. We're better at our job and our being a, a parent or in a relationship if we do take that hour a day to ourselves to go to go flog yourself on a bike and and go you know burn off some demons um it, it to me it's it's essential I'm, I'm not a very nice person if i if i haven't gone on a bike ride
2: yeah yeah no it's
0: <laughs> i don't know if you're it, that way but um i'm a better person i'll say i'm not i wouldn't say i'm not a nice person but i'm a better person when i've t- taken you know a short amount of time per day for myself to move my body and 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 check out of the distraction of digital or work or stress of life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like I know it'll be different for a lot of different people. Um, but for me, I, I tried the meditation thing and it just didn't really work for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I tried it for about 14 or 16 weeks, but it just didn't work for me. But what I found was getting into the gym in the morning, early morning is my meditation that, yeah, it's so much more than a workout for me. It sets me up mentally as well, really sets me mm-hmm. up for the day. And I broke my shoulder a couple of years ago and there's there's still complications with it. And I really, it took that to where I couldn't get into the gym. It really took that to, for me to realize that that's what the gym was for me. It was more than just going and working out and trying to stay fit and whatever. It was a mental thing. Such such a big part of it was a mental thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: um, and sometimes it takes these events to happen in your life for you to actually realize these things, which is kind of weird.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. I, I never really meditated before uh, I went over to Southeast Asia and got sort of introduced to it. And, and I'm not very good at it. I'll give you that much. It's like 10 minutes, you know, of sitting still was something I, I had to really work on and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it did come to realize that, that, you know, there is a sort of moving meditation when you're exercising and you're, yeah. you're just focusing on your breath. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities in that way of, mm-hmm. of exercising.
2: Yeah. I was trying this mindfulness thing and, it's so. It may sound so easy, but it's so hard to think about nothing. Right? It's so difficult.
0: But there's this. There's,
2: yeah. this, there's this one bit in it where you lay down to, to do your your meditation. I was doing this first thing in the morning. I would fall asleep.
0: Yeah, I would too. I would take a nap, fall asleep. Or you sitting there, be thinking. I should be thinking nothing about thinking nothing. Like. Yeah. You're it's thinking real... about not thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: it's a real skill. Uh, I don't know. It's it's quite difficult. It's not as easy as people would think.
0: No, it's definitely not. But it's a. I mean, it's a great practice to still your mind and just breathe. And you know, it's an, yeah. ancient, ancient practice. So there's got to be something to it.
2: That's it for sure. Um, I want to touch on your Be Good Foundation uh, because that came off of the back of the the Blood Road documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing i wanted to chat to you about it and i think it's one of the reasons why you set up the be good foundation was to see how the war in vietnam there is still affecting people today Mm -hmm. you know and you weren't really expecting that when you went to do the do the ride like how how has that affected you
0: that's right i mean i the biggest surprise i learned over there was that bombs from a war that ended 50 years ago, you know, they're still killing people on a, you know, regular basis. Um, and bombs along the Ho Chi Minh trail, you know, the bombs, my dad was dropping, um, a ton of them didn't explode. And so they're still threatening life. Um, especially in Laos, you know, per capita, it's the most bombed country in the history of our world. Mm -hmm. And I felt strongly that my dad brought me over there to show me that you know he had remorse about being in the war and Mm -hmm. um you know I feel like he was basically showing me that hey this this is still here and you have the power to do something about it and so the genesis of the be good foundation really was to use my bike um and the film and you know, my exposure as an athlete, uh, to bring awareness to the bombs that are still along the Ho Chi Minh trail. And that's one of my, you know, that was the genesis of the Be Good Foundation. It's one of the main projects that I work on, you know, we've expanded to some other projects as well, but, um, that really is, is one of the main ones because I feel like my dad asked me to do that. And, um, so, you know, the mission statement of the Be Good Foundation has grown to, um, you know, use the bike as a catalyst for healing and empowerment and evolution. And so that means clearing bombs along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And typically I've taken annual mountain bike trip over there. We sell bomb bracelets that are, you know, with Be Good engraved on them that are made from the actual bombs cleared, um, you know, once the bombs are cleared, made safe, they're turned into jewelry. And it's really quite a beautiful, a beautiful circle of healing um, and so that's one of my main projects um, since I launched the foundation. But I also, you know, Private Idaho. I mentioned that already. My signature ride mm-hmm. here. I didn't want to let go of that because it's it's one of my main fundraisers for the Be Good Foundation each year. And this year we've targeted um, all of the fundraising for Rebecca's Private Idaho Challenge will go, uh, tar- are, is targeted towards groups that are fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion cycling. And so we've got some great partners who are getting more people on bikes who've not had access to them previously. And so it's, it's pretty cool. I feel like, you know, my dad asked me to be good. And, I, and this is this is how I'm doing it, you know, and I've never had a lot of money to donate to foundations or causes. And so in turn, I'm using, you know, my reach is, you know, Mountain Bike Hall of Famer and, or, you know, and my podium's an Emmy award-winning film. I'm using those things um, to make a difference.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful that you can take something like that, which has obviously destroyed a country there, like bombs and make bracelets out of them. It's so amazing. Like what are the people out there like now after everything that's happened and realize you're doing this to help? Like how, how are the people reacting to it?
0: they're so amazing. I mean, the first time I went there, I I went there sort of like very humble, not not being sure how I would be received, you know, as as an American coming over whose father served in the war um and was bombing their country, you know. And and I have never met a group of more kind and hospitable people um and it's truly, you know, learned the nature of the word forgiveness. And they do not hold, you know, the past is past and history is history and all you can affect is the future. And it was really powerful for me to be welcomed into these homes with open arms and, you know, be shown around. And it was, I was very surprised to be received in that way. And it was, is very humbling. And, and now, yeah, when I go back and visit, you know, God, the people are so friendly. They're so nice. It's the friendliest place on earth. And, and, the the bomb clearing through I work through Mines Advisory Group and they clear bombs in war torn countries and this provides you know jobs for Lao villagers um, and it's a really prestigious job like they actually want to do this they want to safely go clear the bombs for, because they're clearing their own country. Mm-hmm. and then you come back and you know you're wearing the bracelet or a t-shirt that says be good and um in Lao is ud is how you say it and so we've got you know the translation of it and it's it's more important than any any podium I, I've stood on before it's it's pretty special yeah. and i mean i'm this will be the first year that i won't get to travel back to to Laos and and go do work along the trail and so because of COVID, that's that's super sad for me. But it's going to motivate me even more to, you know, sell more bracelets and raise more money, and um, I'll get back there again soon. I'm sure of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, it's not off your own back that you're not going back. It's just one of those things.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah, and you know, the documentary is amazing, and I would definitely advise anybody to to watch it. The one thing that blew me away about it was the aerial photography you've got, mm-hmm. and how it shows still the holes in the ground from the amount of bombs that were dropped among uh, mm-hmm. uh, beside the trail. That's unbelievable.
0: It's it's shocking and it's sad and it's you know yeah the, these villages look like Swiss cheese and yeah. yeah it's just the devastation of war you know it it lasts it lasts more than a lifetime you know um, and so. You know, like I said, we can't change the past, but, but you know, we can change the future. And I think about hopefully, you know, maybe there'll be no more wars in our world. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, you know, history is our greatest teacher. And if we don't look back and, and remember, it's, you know, we're destined to make the same mistakes over and over again.
2: Yeah, no, certainly. Um, if we would just look into history a little bit more. Yeah. and the important people to make the right decisions.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's a topic for another podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
2: it certainly oh, is. Yeah, um, And,
0: you know, it does feel, I will say, this is a hard time in our world, and it does feel like we don't, you know, you're just one person, you can't make a difference, but, but we can. You know, you get one person out on a bike, you buy one bracelet made from a bomb, you, you know in your small community where you live um you know you spread love and forgiveness and it it makes a difference if everyone in the world did that then we'd be in a different place
2: yeah so i don't want
0: anyone to ever feel like they don't make a difference because you do to even if it's to your son or your daughter or your neighbor or to one person um it's still important to do it yeah tell us a little
2: bit about rebecca's private idaho you've mentioned it a couple of times there it's to me it kind of seems like a a bike camp on steroids or something eh?
0: (laughs) well traditionally rebecca's private idaho for the last seven years is a big gravel ride that i do in my hometown and it was launched really to get people off the beaten track and um you know celebrate this beautiful place where i live and it's a fundraising ride and you know i i launched it yeah, seven years ago, this would be year number eight. Um, this year we had to change it up um, because we're not all traveling to get together in, in mass group events. And so this year, you know, it's a, I, I designed, I designed kind of a training program. And what I wanted to do was one, one, give people a goal to shoot for and, you know, wherever they are, they can mimic the private Idaho course. You know, we we help plan a route through Garmin Garmin Connect or Strava. Um, but really it was I wanted to give people access to as a pro athlete to my community of people and that includes my coach, a nutritionist, you know, mobility expert, mindfulness, gear stuff. And I, I really wanted to help share all that with everybody. Be like, well I have all this information. Um, I'm happy to share it. I'm happy to share my expert sort of group of people. And so Rebecca's private Idaho challenge is really, it's been an eight week program. We're in week five now, um, leading up to, uh, the first weekend of September where we'll all do the ride challenge and people can still join in now. um, at Rebecca's private Idaho.com and do the ride challenge with us. And, you know, we're doing live webinars each week and we've got a Facebook community where everyone is connecting and sharing their training and we're all doing very similar training together. So my coach, Tim Cusick has written up training plans and, and, you know, each week we have different topics. We have recipes, we have like, you know, what I'm eating, what I'm using for recovery. And really again, just to share, you know, I have decades of knowledge as, as an athlete and to share that with everyone and get everyone motivated for a challenge, um, just to be the best version of yourself. But the the whole reason to go to a race is, is really to, to work towards something and to get up each morning and put in a little effort. And, and that's what this is about. Um, and connecting people in a community in that way. And it's been really fun for me. And I, you know, I designed it this way because I needed motivation to get off my butt. And so I figured if, if I needed it, then other people needed it too. And, and just because there aren't a bunch of in-person races doesn't mean we can't still, you know, commit to our health and wellness. And what's been really cool about everyone staying home is that people are discovering their own backyards and they're finding all these places, me too, like places I haven't ridden in my own, mm-hmm. in my own home state. And so, so this year, Rebecca's Private Idaho is not in person Um, it's, it's worldwide, really, everyone can do it wherever you want. Um, and like I said, it's, it's our fundraising event for the Be Good Foundation and all targeted towards, um, inclusion and, and diversity in cycling and getting, getting more people on bikes. And so, yeah, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, um, the actual ride challenge. So if anyone wants to join me, um, please do. Um, and there's everything from 20 miles to a three day stage race. So there really is any kind of any distance that anyone can choose. And then hopefully next year we'll have this hybrid, you know, format that can be worldwide, but we'll hopefully also have in in tandem the in-person event as well.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool the way things happen. You can, you know, it's, you would never probably have thought of doing that if the no. COVID pandemic hadn't happened. So
0: no, it pushed me to, you know, and I can reach more people this way. You know, I can somebody, you know, you, where you live, you could be taking part with Private Idaho, even if you maybe would never travel to Private Idaho, never travel to Idaho.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's cool. I mean, I think the pandemic has forced a lot of creativity and a lot of, you know, like I said, soul searching, but people people you know fell off the bike and we're getting back up and we're figuring it out.
2: Yeah it's amazing what people were doing. there was a guy in Italy ran a marathon on his balcony.
0: <laughs> oh oh my gosh yeah that's impressive.
2: Back and forth back and forth back and forth
0: <laughs> And it just goes to show you though that people need to move you know we need we need we need fitness and we need to be if we can be outside um, for our own for our own sanity.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I don't want to run
0: a marathon on a balcony. That's not (laughs) good.
2: And then in Malta, where I was, just round the corner from where I worked, actually, um, there's high rises, maybe eight, nine stories. One of the guys in there was a DJ, so he decided all the clubs were closed. He decided he would he would hold a club on his balcony every Friday evening, and then all the surrounding buildings, they would all come out. Because everybody was in lockdown, so they would all come out onto their balconies. Lovely weather and everything else, and they would all dance. Everybody dancing and partying, and you could hear that something down the street.
0: That's cool. I mean, it's we we gotta stay connected in some way or another. You know, it's uh, everyone around the world is reaching out in that way, whether it's dancing on your balcony or whatever. But yeah. that's beautiful. I love it. It's you know? cool, huh? Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Um,
2: well you've got loads loads more going on um as well. You've got Rush Academy and you've got the Getty Up uh for good challenge, which you raise a lot of money for, eh, for the COVID pandemic.
0: We did hundred and thirty thousand dollars. And that wow. is really what um launched the idea to make Private Idaho sort of that kind of a format. So yeah, it's it's been cool to sort of be creative and of course we didn't um we didn't uh do rush academy this year because those Mm -hmm. are in-person events but hopefully we'll we'll have them next year
2: yeah yeah that's cool it's gravel based as well is the gravel thing getting big with you is there
0: Oh, it's huge. Oh my gosh. Like I never, when I launched the, this private Idaho as a gravel event, I didn't really, I didn't really know what I was getting onto, but um, yeah, it's, it's blowing up, which is cool. I mean, people just want to, they want to get off the beaten path. They want to get away from traffic. They want to go exploring and gravel is such a great, I think it's a great equalizer of like can bring roadies in mountain bikers, beginners, Mm. pros, like everyone is welcome on gravel. Everyone can do it. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's good to get those because the scales overlap, right? On gravel. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like gravel's like kind of like almost like a mix of mountain biking and road biking. You know, the best of both both worlds, all into one. And what I do, I mean, my gravel bike, I've just got a brand new live, just uh, launched the first women's gravel bike, the Devote, and I've been playing on that a lot. And what I love about it is, it, I'll I'll go on all surfaces. So I might start out on the road from my house, jump on a single track, get on a dirt road. And so it gives me the freedom to just not be limited by my bike, you know, and I can can take it almost anywhere.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. What I really think is great about it is, like you mentioned, it brings roadies and mountain bikers together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know,
2: I don't know if it's like that in the States, but here we don't really get on that well. (laughs)
0: Well, there's a different vibe and there's a different mentality and i definitely the mentality of gravel, at least in the U S is more along the mountain bike ethic. And that's, you know, it's like, um, so we do try to educate the roadies when they come over to the gravel that like, Hey, this is how it works here. This is more like a mountain bike vibe than, than a road vibe. Um, but yeah, it is cool. It gets everyone together and they're enjoying the bike and, I know a lot of roadies are like, oh, this is more fun than road racing <laughs> and this is more fun than, you know, the group that I was hanging out with. So we have a few converts now over to the dirt, yeah. which is a good thing.
2: Do you ever see the the roadies showing up on their gravel bike wearing all the tight Legra?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they can't help it, you know? <laughs>
2: You can there's a, whole mix.
0: there's a mix of everything. You know, it's cool. There's people on fat uh-huh. bikes on gravel. There's people, you know, wearing the real tight Lycra, you know, racy kit. There's people wearing jean shorts and baggies. And so I, I do actually like that. It's like everyone can get along together on this, you know, this sort of uneven surface. I think it's it's healthy for our world.
2: I think so too. That's what I like about it. We bring the roadies and bring the mountain bikers together. And, yeah. You know, at the end of the day you're all laughing and getting on and having a good time.
0: Everyone's having a beer at the end of the day. You had a hard ride and so it, it makes you realize we're not we're not that different after all.
2: Yeah, we just wear cooler clothes. We
0: just wear different clothing. Yeah. <laughs> different types <laughs> of
2: clothes. Yeah. Cool. Uh Rebecca, before I let you go there, uh, anything exciting you can tell us about happening in the future? Have you any more big expeditions planned? Anything you would like to do?
0: Yeah, I mean I've, on my radar is, is the rod Trail Invitational um, 1000 miler, so hopefully yeah, my wow. two years of practice um, have set me up um, to do the 1000 this year, so that will be a month on the trail, um, and that's, that's in February, so I have signed up for that event. Um, and you know, my, my big mission right now is really to to execute private Idaho on first week of September and to really, you know, crush our fundraising goals and and get more people out riding. So those are my two big my two big missions right now. I probably should write another book and do some other stuff like that, too. But, you know, those mm. are more long term goals.
2: Yeah. How yeah. did you find writing the book thing? I, I've heard it's the hardest thing you would ever do in your life.
0: Yeah, I, it absolutely is. It's, it was awful. Um, <laughs> well, here's why. The reason it was so hard is as an athlete, I'm used to, like, if you work harder, you see results. You just put in more time. You put in more energy. You just, you know, push down harder on the pedals, and you're going to see results. And cre- creativity does not work that way. And writing doesn't work that way. So you can sit and try, but nothing happens. And so... Yeah. I'm used to this linear process of you put the work in, you see the results. Um, and writing is is not that way. And so it, it was quite hard for me to squeeze the words out of me and to have the discipline to sit there when I didn't feel motivated. And I'd always think of all these great things out on the bike, and then I couldn't remember them by the time I got home yeah. um, to write down. And so the the process of like making creative thoughts flow when they aren't flowing was really challenging for me and and I did find that I had to move I had to go out and walk the dogs I had to get blood flow to get the brain flowing but yeah it was it was definitely like squeezing a lemon or something to get get it out
2: yeah you know did you lock yourself away for a month or do anything like that or did you give yourself a period of time where you wanted to start and finish or was it you would dip in and out of it
0: I mean, I did have, because I had a publisher and and I I had deadlines. And so, yeah, I did have to, you know, I spent many, like, pulled all-nighters because the deadline was the next day and I hadn't written anything down. And so um, I think it was important to have the accountability of basically like having homework assignments that I had to complete by a certain time. Um, I think if I hadn't had that, and this is probably why I haven't written, written a second one yet, Is because I think I needed the deadlines and the um, sort of structure that was provided by a publisher
2: Mm -hmm. to motivate you to kind of do it. it
0: I mean, it's just like a kid who's got to do their homework. You know, you wait till the last second and, you know, and then you pull an all nighter and turn it in on time on Monday morning, hopefully.
2: Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like when I was doing my dissertation for my degree and stuff, all of a sudden the shower would need scrubbed. Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I told it. <laughs> My house was clean, my bikes were clean, because you'd find anything else to go do um, yeah. except for sit down and write.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. So what encourages you to do a second one then?
0: You know, because I, well, you know, Blood Road and sort of what's happened in the subsequent five years have been so powerful that I, I feel like there's a story there. And, you know, seeing mm-hmm. how the film resonated with people, um, and how it helps people and heals people. And we've had a lot of families watch it and veterans watch it. And um, so I feel like there's a bigger, just like any film, there's more to the story than, than what was shown there and what's happened since. And so the motivation to get the, the book out and the story out is, is like anything is because I think it could help people. You know, it will be therapeutic for me to write, I'm sure. But ultimately, it's to we share our stories or we share, you know, it's why do we even have a podcast like this? It's to actually give something to other people. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think the way you're wired, maybe, is it's a challenge for you and you like to challenge yourself.
0: (laughs) Queen of pain, you know, they don't call me that for nothing.
2: Yeah. How did that (laughs) name ever come about?
0: That's from my adventure racing days. Yeah, I was dubbed that on a magazine cover uh, when I was adventure racing and um, just sort of stuck.
2: (laughs) Yeah, wow. It's a good one. It's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, when you're filling in applications, that's what you should write. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy, crazy. So, Rebecca, how can people find you online and keep up to date with your adventures and what you've got going there and get involved?
0: It's pretty easy. Um, everything's at Rebecca Rush R U S C H, so you can find my website, um, Instagram, all that kind of good stuff. And um, if anyone out there wants to host and show Blood Road as a fundraiser, um, that's an option as well. So if you've got a bike club or you know you want to show the film, um, you can find me on my website and reach out.
2: Perfect, brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Rebecca. It's been it's been a pleasure chatting to you. You're such a good role model for anybody, kind of any athlete, anybody doing anything in life. And, you know, that's what I really love about your story. If more people were like you, the world would certainly be a better place.
0: Thank you. I mean, some days I'm just trying to be a role model for myself, you know, <laughs> but I appreciate you saying that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. And well, that's the problem with social media, isn't it? That a lot of these influencers. Their life seems to be perfect all the time, which it certainly is not.
0: No, nobody is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it's great what you're doing. I really do appreciate it. And Thank you. Um, I know my listeners will as well. Um, so thanks so much for your time. And
0: thanks, I hope Karen. the rest
2: of the year goes well for you. And I'll certainly be keeping up to date with your
1: adventures.
0: Absolutely. Same for you. And uh, be good.
1: That's a wrap for episode 154. I hope you enjoyed that, folks, and I hope you took a lot from Rebecca's stories and how she has changed people's lives through the great things she's doing. It's really an inspiration to us all rebecca thanks so much for coming on the show i I do appreciate it it was an absolute blast chatting to you and i hope everything goes well the rest of the season for you in 2020 and everything goes well into the 2021 season you've got plenty planned there and plenty of great stuff going on so good luck with that in the future and i will certainly be keeping an eye on what you're getting up to there now folks if you want to know more about rebecca want to get in contact just simply go to the show notes mtb-tribe.com search for rebecca's episode 154 and you will get quick links to rebecca's socials and her websites and everything that's going on there and about some of the things we mentioned on the podcast now if you're enjoying the show and want to help support the podcast the best way is by subscribing rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts every one of your ratings helps boost us on apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people if you're not on apple don't worry you can find and subscribe via stitcher spotify podbean and all other good podcast platforms we also have a website mtb where you can find the complete bike catalog listen and download every show from there You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the show. You can also get involved on social media. We are at MTV Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. And please share with friends, share with anybody you think may benefit from the podcast and it may help them get off the sofa and onto the saddle. So thanks so much for being here again this week, folks. I really do appreciate it your input and support over the last number of months has been fantastic and if you want to get in contact with me you can simply draw me an email info at mtb-tribe.com or simply pm me on any of the social media platforms and i will get back to you so until next week folks as always get the bikes out hit the trails and stay mtb stoked